Reading this evening's from Matthew chapter 7 and reading verses 1 to 12. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Thank you, Deborah, for reading for us. Thank you to our musicians, Graham, for leading us through. A um, couple of things that are going to help us as we go through our time together is, one, to have the Bible open in front of you. That'll just be really helpful for you as we work our way through. It's Matthew uh, chapter 7, page 812. And if you'd like to make notes, just on the back of the service sheet, there's just a brief outline uh, that shows you where uh, we're heading tonight. Um, but let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for all that we have been taught by the Lord Jesus over these last few weeks from this great sermon. And Lord, we, we pray that as we hear him speak to us again tonight, that our hearts will be open to what he has to say to us, that we would be willing to listen and to respond with faith and also repentance, Lord, where we have been wrong. We pray that you would convict us and change us, that we might glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John Hess Yoda um, was a missionary in Southeast Asia, and he wrote about an observation that he made during his time there. Uh, he said that the kings of Laos and Vietnam, uh, they, they were two neighboring countries, and the borderland was quite hard to work out exactly who belonged to which country. And so the kings of Laos and Vietnam, they reached an agreement on how to tax people um, in the border areas, kings like to know um, who to tax. This is what they decided. They said that those who eat short-grained rice and built their house on stilts and decorated them with Indian-style serpents, well, they were considered to belong to the kingdom of Laos. And on the other hand, those who ate long-grained rice and who built their houses on the ground and who decorated them with Chinese-style dragons, well, they were considered Vietnamese. Does that make sense? So the exact location of the person's house did not determine which kingdom each one belonged to. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose cultural values he or she exhibited. And Yoda noted that this is exactly the same with us Christians. We live in the world but as part of God's kingdom, and we are identified not by our location, but by lives that display 
the kingdom's standards and values. And this, of course, is a major theme in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been explaining to us the character of the people of the kingdom of God. He says that someone should be able to look at our lives and say, yep, that person is definitely a person of Jesus' kingdom. They display, they share the life and values of the king. And now as we come into chapter 7, and the sermon's coming towards its end, we've got this week and then next week its conclusion, Jesus wants to warn those of his kingdom, those who share his cultural values of his kingdom, he wants to warn them about three dangers that they might face as they seek to live as people of that kingdom. Three ways that we might respond wrongly to his teaching, things that we're to watch out for. That's what we're going to see uh, tonight. So here's the first danger for kingdom people. It's verses 1 to 5, the danger of judgmentalism. So verse 1, first two words, judge not, judge not. Now why is this a danger for kingdom people? Well, Jesus has been uh, spent a lot of time in this sermon talking about righteousness. He's been saying that his kingdom people are to be those who are truly righteous, with righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He said that he'll bring about in his followers uh, a righteousness that's a consistent inner and outer righteousness, a righteousness of heart, where we keep the law of God in our hearts. That's chapter 5. And a righteousness that that is matched by our outer righteousness, our acts of righteousness, our religious practice as we quietly pray and give and fast. That's chapter 6. And we want this, don't we? We want to be the kind of person Jesus has been describing. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what Jesus wants for us and we want that too. But Jesus knows full well what the human heart is like. And he sees a danger emerging. So imagine that as a newish Christian, uh, you start to feel that you're really growing in Christ. So your anger and your lust, they're starting to be denied. You're starting to keep your words. You're starting to forgive and love your enemies like Jesus had told you to. And your attitude to service has changed. You used to do things for uh, impressing others, but now you give and you pray and you fast in secret, just as Jesus said. And on top of that, you're starting to abandon your pursuit of wealth. You're starting to trust God, your Father. In short, you're putting into practice the Sermon on the Mount. And you feel that you're really starting to make progress. But then you look over at Tom who became a Christian at the same time as you, and you notice that he isn't really growing in any of these areas. In fact, his life seems to be a bit of a mess, if you're honest. He seems pretty irritable a lot of the time, keeps talking about his struggle with pornography, he can't seem to shake, his language is a bit on the sweary side, and he keeps on complaining about his job that pays him peanuts. He just isn't making the kind of progress that you're making. And you think to yourself, well, look, he really should have done all this stuff 
by now. If only he shared my theological depth. If only he was as committed as I was to the spiritual disciplines. If only he had my zeal for holiness. But I guess some people just haven't got it, have they? It's so easy for our hearts to twist righteousness to self-righteousness. To gain an overinflated view of ourselves and then to look down with disdain on others who we don't feel measure up. We become the judge. We take on a condemning attitude and a critical spirit. Others become lesser than us. In the courtroom of our minds... We sit behind the bench and we bring the hammer down on those who don't meet our standards. Jesus has got no time for such judgmentalism. Judge not, he says. And then he gives us his reason. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged... And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, just on a human level, it means that you get back what you give out. Judgmental people receive the same treatment back from others. No one likes someone with this kind of arrogance. But there's a deeper meaning, of course, that we are not the judge. No matter how much we might think that we are in the courtroom of our minds... Now, in the only court that matters, in the court of God, we don't sit behind the bench, we stand in the dock. And God, the perfect judge, will not look favorably on such judgmentalism. We'll be held to account for our self-righteous arrogance towards others. Next, Jesus gives this ridiculous image to show just the ridiculousness of such judgmentalism. And it's kind of a funny image in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now just notice a couple of things here. One is that the brother does actually have a speck in his eye. So the judgmental person here, they're not noticing something that's not there. There is something wrong. A speck of sawdust in someone's eye is not nothing. It's something that can potentially damage the eye, and so it needs to be taken out. And so, in the same way, any sin in someone's life is never nothing. Even the smallest of our sins has the potential to damage us spiritually. And so they do need to be removed. And notice, too, that in Jesus' story, it is the brother in Christ's job to help remove sin from someone's life. So the conclusion to the story is that the speck gets removed in the end, uh, by the first brother, verse 5. So all sin, even small sins, need to be dealt with. And it's the responsibility of Christian brothers and sisters to help in that process for each other. 
So notice that. But of course, that's not Jesus' main point here, is it? His main point is that it's ridiculous to think that you're well equipped to get a speck of sawdust out of someone's eye when you've got a massive shard of wood sticking out of your own. Just imagine someone coming up to you. Oh, look, mate, you've just, just a minute, you've just got something there, just a tiny little thing there, let me get that for you. And you, and you see them coming towards you, and they've got this massive spike kind of sticking out of their eye, and there's blood pouring down their face, and they're kind of moving to the side to get it out of the way as they still reach their finger out just to get near. You're never going to let them get anywhere near you, are you? If you see someone coming like that to you, there's no way you're letting them help you get a tiny little speck out of your eye. They're not going to help at all. In fact, they're going to make it worse. Of course you're not going to trust their judgment when it comes to something as important as an eye. See, Jesus is ridiculing. And some things are worthy of ridicule. He's ridiculing the judgmental person who's so confident that they see the small sins of others while they miss the glaringly obvious and large sins in their own lives. This kind of person is ruthless with others, but gentle with themselves. And Jesus urges us to reverse course, be ruthless with your own sin, so that you might then be gentle with others. Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now how do you know if this kind of judgmentalism is a danger for you, if you're falling into this trap? Well, often it comes out in our speech, doesn't it? We are overly harsh, we're critical We might speak about others behind their back, all that stuff. There's a lot of that that goes on. But let me just give you an early warning sign uh, to think about. So when you hear hear a sermon or you go to a Bible study and someone says something challenging about sin, well, who do you think of first? Do you think, well, you know who really needs to hear this? My mother-in-law or that person in church, or this person in my small group, they really need to hear it. Is that your first thought? Or do you first think, yeah, that's me. That's something that I really need to deal with. I wonder if that's just a little test that we can apply to ourselves. Even now, in this sermon, are we thinking of someone else that this applies to, or are we thinking of ourselves? Do not be judgmental, says Jesus. Look to yourself before helping others and then be gentle with them. So that's the first danger. Now the second is verse 6, which is the danger of not judging at all. Now Jesus' command, don't judge, is easily misunderstood. As we've seen, it's referring to that kind of harsh judgmentalism uh, that condemns and looks down on others. It's not at all saying that we shouldn't be discerning or that we shouldn't call sin, sin when we see it. It doesn't mean that we can't ever say that anything is wrong. 
Uh, John Stott puts it like this. He says, it isn't a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Be generous with people. Jesus, in verse 6, he gives us some balance to his previous statement. What does he say? Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So we mustn't be harsh in judging those we shouldn't, but on the other hand, we mustn't be lacking in discernment when it comes to those who are evil. Now the phrase is probably a familiar proverb uh, that Jesus is adapting. So when he speaks about dogs, don't think of Snookles, your pet poodle. Think of the mangy, flea-bitten mongrel that's hunting around in the bins behind Tesco's. That's the kind of dog Jesus is talking about. Dogs are unclean animals. And pigs are even worse, not just physically gross, but spiritually unclean for Jewish people. Uh, for, for Jewish people to eat. And so they're also, and they're, on top of that, they're also dangerous creatures. Think of the kind of wild boar with the tusks charging at you. Uh, that's what Jesus is here, as we'll have in mind. You wouldn't give holy things to dogs. You'd never think of that. And you wouldn't give precious things to pigs. That's the image. But what does it mean? It seems to be a call to be discerning, but, but in regard to what? What's he talking about? What are the holy and precious things? Well, there's two options here, um, I think. One option is this, that it could be the gospel itself that Jesus is talking about. There's nothing more holy and precious uh, than that. So Jesus has already said that his followers, they're going to be persecuted. And so he might simply just be warning us then that, that when we offer the gospel to people, if we see obvious hostility and danger coming our way, well, it might be wise to offer the gospel elsewhere. We see that a bit later on in Matthew. In Matthew 10, the disciples, they go from town to town to preach the gospel, and they're told that when they find real hostility from a town or village, they're to leave that town and go to another, and they're to dust off their feet as they go. And Jesus himself, when he's rejected, as he often is, he moves on to more fruitful territory. So that's one option. It's a, it's a call to be discerning in gospel proclamation, not to unthinkingly persevere when there's real hostility. But I think there is a better option, and it's an option, I think, that's closer to the context of what we've just been talking about in verses 1 to 5. So Jesus has been speaking about dealing with sin in the kingdom community, in the church. And having removed the plank from our own eye, we we gently go to help a brother or sister to remove the speck from their eye. And what do we do that with? Well, we do that with the holy and precious pearl of God's word in our hands. We take God's word with us to show them what needs to change. And it could well be that even with no hypocrisy on our part, and even if we do it in the most gentle and gracious way, it may be rejected, and we may be rejected and sometimes aggressively so. It may well be that Jesus is telling us to watch out for people in the church community who are plank eyes, people who won't listen to anyone else at all because they're blind to their faults. They may give you both barrels if you try to help them with God's word. 
You see, having warned us about judgmentalism, Jesus is now warning us about not being judging at all. Don't be the judge, don't condemn people, but don't be naive either. Some people are dogs, says Jesus. Some people are pigs. They're never going to want to hear what you have to say. There is wisdom sometimes in not confronting sin when the person has proven that they're hostile to such precious and holy things. Be wise, says Jesus. Beware the danger of not judging at all. That's the second danger. Now on to the third, which is verses 7 to 11, which is kind of a a double danger or two sides of a coin. Uh, The danger of self-dependence or self-despair. Now, um, verses 7 to 11, they're, they're a positive message about prayer. And it might not look initially like they're addressing uh, a danger, but I think, I think they are. Let me just read them to you first, and then I'll show you why I think Jesus is, is saying this. Verse 7 uh, to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what's Jesus saying? Well, he's saying that we should pray. He's saying we can ask for things and be confident that God will answer. Because if we've trusted in Christ and if we're uh, brought into his kingdom by Christ, then we're God's children. He will treat us better than any earthly father would. He'll grant us what we need when we ask him. Now that's true, that's a remarkable privilege of access that we have in the kingdom of God. We can go to our Father, we can know that he'll meet our needs. But why does Jesus say this here in this part of his sermon? It seems to sort of come out of the bit of the blue, doesn't it? Well, here's here's what I think is going on. See, throughout the sermon, and even in the last part of what Jesus has said, Jesus has been setting a very high bar for the kind of righteousness required in his kingdom people. And because of that, we can become either self-dependent or self-despairing. So we can become self-dependent thinking that we're going to reach that bar through our own efforts if we really, really try hard. And that way leads to self-righteousness. Or we can look at the bar and we can think, well, there's no way on earth that I'm reaching that. And so we become self-despairing and we give up. Self-dependent or self-despairing. And neither way is the way Jesus wants us to respond to what he's saying. He wants us to realise that the only way for us to become the kind of kingdom person he's describing is to become wholly dependent on our Heavenly Father. In other words, the the command here to ask, seek, and knock is not general but specific. It's targeted to us uh, 
in the way in which we are to respond to the Sermon on the Mount. We're to see the high bar that's set before us, and we're to say, Father, I need your help. Please, will you help me? And when we ask that, we can know that he will. In fact, we might go as far as to say that these verses are simply encouraging us to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Similar language there. Verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, here is the way forwards when you hear Jesus' commands. There's no room for self-dependence. You can't make it on your own. You need grace from a heavenly father. You need to get on your knees and ask him. And there's no place for self-despair either. You're not on your own. There is grace from your heavenly Father available to you. If only you will ask. Avoid the danger of self-dependence and self-despair by asking for help from God your Father. Now finally, as we close, what's often called the golden rule, which is in verse 12. Notice the word that connects it to what's already been said. The first word, so, in response. Verse 12, so, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, in our training programs here at Chalmers, if one of the ministry associates is preparing a talk or a Bible study or something like that, what we'll ask them to do is summarise the main point in one sentence, what they're going to say in one sentence. And it's a really helpful exercise. It just checks that they've understood it properly, and it helps them to focus on what they're to communicate. It makes it simple to communicate so that others can understand. Now, when you ask them to do that, they often think it's a bit of a pain. It's quite hard work to get to that stage. Um, But if you ever wondered if there's any biblical justification for doing that, well, here it is. Jesus does it at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He's a brilliant teacher. And in one sentence, he captures the big idea of his teaching from the last two chapters. But actually, it's even more than that. In a nutshell, he communicates the law and the prophets. That's the entire Bible's ethical teaching on how God's kingdom people are to live. In just one memorable phrase. If you do this, you keep God's word, says Jesus. Now, what is it that he says? Well, it's not what your mum used to say to you. So you may have heard something like this. You do something horrible to your little brother. Um, you flick him behind the ear or you give him a dead leg or, or something like that. And your mum says what? What she says is, don't do to others what you wouldn't like done to yourself. It's pretty wise. Do you ever get that? No, just me. Okay, just me. Uh, well, that's the negative form of this rule, isn't it? Don't do to others what you wouldn't like done to yourself. And actually, that rule was around in Jesus' day. Lots of other religions of Jesus' day and today would have uh, that rule. But actually, when you think about that, you could keep that rule by just not doing anything at all. 
don't do, others, don't do to others what you wouldn't like done to you, well, okay, well, I just won't do anything then, and I'll be fine. But Jesus here is original in his teaching, and he's far more radical. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. See, it's positive, isn't it? It's, it's a call to radically and positively seek out ways to love people. It's not merely don't do wrong to others. It, of course, includes that. But it's go out of your way to do good to others. To love people as you wish to be loved. It is a limitless command to love people like Jesus loves people. Compassionate, kind, faithful, selfless, sacrificial love for others. It's to love people with a kind of love where you would lay down your life to serve someone else, as Jesus does for us. Jesus boils down all the values of his kingdom into one rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We began our time by thinking that kingdom people will be marked out by the lives that display Jesus' values and his standards. They should be able to spot a kingdom person by the way that they live in this world and the values that they hold. That they'll share the character of the king. So what's Jesus taught us tonight that his character is like? Well, he said, don't be judgmental. Don't condemn, look down on others but be generous and gracious to them. Help them. At the same time, though, don't be naive or undiscerning. Be careful, there are dangerous people about. Don't be self-dependent or self-despairing. Don't think it all depends on you. Ask your father for help. Help for what? Help so that you can keep his teaching, so that you can do what Jesus says, that whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray and ask him for his help. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Lord God, our Father, we come to you tonight and we ask you for your help. We know that the character of the people of your kingdom that you describe is beyond us in our own power and strength, that we're just not like that. And so, Lord, we know that we need your help. By your Spirit, would you transform us that we might bear the values and standards of your kingdom as you command us to. We pray that we would live out this golden rule in our lives, that as we wish others would do to, to us, that we would do to them. Help us to embrace this really radical teaching. Help us to live lives that honour and glorify you in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.